Growler Media presents Joe vs. the Minute. Welcome back to Joe vs. the Minute, where we are taking you to the volcano one minute at a time. So, today is Wednesday. I am Jarf. And unfortunately, Tierney could not be here again today. Life has gotten in the way again today. But we do have a very special guest. Basically, today and possibly this week, Brad has replaced Tierney in her co-chair spot. So please welcome Brad from the Cosmic Geppetto podcast. I've replaced her in the chair, but not in everyone's heart. Not in everyone's part. See, obviously, this is not the way that it works when life gets in the way. But if we knew it, then we could have done one of those funny gags like you've done on Cosmic Geppetto, where we kind of stage something where, where you steal Tierney's spot and you lock her out of the recording studio. Uh, those were such a pain to do. Were they? <laughs> oh, God. We, we, um, we haven't done one in a little while. We've done a little bit of... Uh, a, a, a little bit of theater sometimes, a little radio plays. And uh, they sound great. They are a giant pain to do. Because uh, it's, multi- it's multiple like voice files that you have to weave together because we, we're scattered all over the country. That's sort of when you want to bring in multiple perspectives on a podcast, you can't just talk to the three dudes that you went to college with and were on the radio show with. You, you got people from all over the country, different time zones. Can't be in the same place at the same time, can't record at the same time, so it makes it a little bit more logistically possible. But that's just the effort that you put in to really make a fun podcast. And, and you haven't had a chance to hear it, but Tierney has told the story of one of her earliest, if not her first, appearance on your show when she was a part of a panel talking about Wonder Woman. And that was one of the aforementioned skits. We did this great bit where my colleague Kathleen kind of stole you from the studio and tied you up with the lasso so you couldn't be a part of the recording. It's all good, good stuff. It, it was a lot of fun. I, I do love doing it uh, because I, I have a little background uh, in writing and playwriting. And it's, it's a lot of fun. And But it is, as Jerv sort of mentioned, you have people from all over the country with various different sound quality in their recordings. And I'm sure you guys have had that with um, Joe versus the Minute, where some people, it sounds like they're in the room with you. The sound quality is so good on their microphones. And some people, it sounds like they're broadcasting from a tin can in the middle of space. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, now, we love doing that, and the, the, we'll do more of those in the future. So it's fun. It's fun when you have like a lot of creative people and uh, a lot of creative ideas happen. And I'm a big believer, uh, and especially with Cosmic Geppetto, because it's a little bit more open format. You can do stuff. If it's like, hey, we want to do a radio play, do a radio play. Why not? Um, you know, if you want to have a panel, then have a panel. If you want to do a one-on-one interview, then do that as well. So uh, that's the advantage of that format. What's great about Minute by Minute is this is every day, and it's short, and it's, uh, you know, it, it's easily digestible, but it's fascinating, and it's stuff that movies that people really love and getting into my into, into the minutia. So uh, I'm, I'm excited to be back again today. Well, we're excited to have you. And another thing that we love is talking about Joe versus Volcano. Today, we have the chance to talk about Minute 26. So 
Minute 26 starts with Joe and Dee Dee continuing their date, and it ends with Joe bribing a mariachi band to play a song that will drive them insane. Romantic gesture. It doesn't, it doesn't sound good on its face, like, but I see where Joe is going with it. This is so... The energy that Hanks has in this minute is... Uh, infectious and from the beginning where he does and it's sort of something that is a bit of a trademark of tom hanks he has the gasping laugh Mm, yes and it's can you do can you do an impersonation oh no no i cannot (laughs) (laughs) okay go on (laughs) um and it's and it wasn't until and it's funny i don't know if i've ever really thought about it until watching this minute how that's actually sort of iconic now Eddie Murphy has a real distinctive laugh, um, and even Seth um, Seth Rogen has he has this sort of like barrel chested stoner laugh. Um, but I, I never realized that you know Tom Hanks has that too. He has this sort of and I, it's the only way to describe it. He has like a gasping laugh that sounds like it's stealing his breath when he does it, um, and it's infectious and it it, it works. It, it and it's very it's perfect in this moment because he his character comes. Joe seems like a guy who hasn't laughed in 20 years yes he is definitely selling that and watching this minute in isolation besides the terrible hair it feels a lot more like the tom hanks that we're familiar with but watching it in the context of the film it's it's a dramatic transformation from this downtrodden character that we started the movie with so I, I I I like the performance in that way. And you're right. Infectious is definitely the word. It, 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 he's just, he's brimming with energy. His eyes are bright. And what I found curious, and this goes beyond the minutes for this week, but you see him really dancing around the fact that he's just got this terminal diagnosis. So I I saw a lot of like beats where he hesitates and and one specifically I think was in this minute where Dee Dee says I wish I was where you are and he very sadly smiles and says no you don't but he doesn't then tell her what's up so all of that seems when you just watch it in isolation like it's leading up to him not telling her the truth but then as we know spoilers he does end up telling her that he's dying so what do you think misdirection or is that his his characters he's kind of getting to the place where he's comfortable with telling her or or maybe he just the date went further than he thought it would and so it's hey if we're gonna hook up i gotta gotta tell you that i'm dying situation well what's your take it's a great question he definitely does seem to be he, he like leading up to it part of me thinks it's less that i think he forget he keeps forgetting he's sick mm, that's true because he's so happy that he feels good so there was like one moment where he's like you know i feel great and it, you can see he's like oh my gosh i I do feel great right because he's he's and that's sort of been sort of the conflict with it is this is a guy who's felt awful until he's told he's dying and then he finally feels good right because he feels justified and also he know he's somebody who doesn't have anything left to lose so he can allow himself to feel good yeah it's that line so there's nothing wrong with me except for this terminal disease and i like the bit of business that he has when he's realizing hey hey i do feel good where he's he's feeling around for his what do you call it when you have a cold they swell oh sciences 
Yes. And so he's kind of feeling around where they would normally be swollen and like, hey, no, I'm I'm pressing on my neck. They don't feel bad like they normally do. I do feel good. That's crazy. Yeah. Some really good acting in a scene that won't that you wouldn't think it would allow for very good acting physically at least because it's a it feels like a very tight set they're sort of leaning in it feels like they're almost like really pulled into the chair um and you have tom hanks doing a lot of physical acting and sort of bouncing around everything uh, one one note i had was you know he he gets up to talk to the mariachi band and you can actually hear all the the dishes and glass sort of make a sound mm-hmm. there's a ringing to it and it's it's actually kind of consistent throughout the scene where he's sort of moving around so much that there's almost like a almost a constant ringing from the dishware so do you think that is okay they're on a, a little set of this restaurant and they then just kind of add in the dishes crashing sound effect in post or if it they just did it in, in a more in a simpler stagey production where they just mic'd up the set and just whatever audio and background noise they captured is what they what they put in the movie you know i usually have a pretty good ear for adr um and it, it that doesn't sound post to me but it could be, you know, there are very, there are people who get paid a lot of money to put that sound in. Okay. So they could probably, you know, they could probably fool my, uh, my ear. But uh, I would like to think that that was something that just happened organically. But it, it could have been a dissonance. It's like, and almost the way they're doing it, it makes it feel like his spirit's outgrowing the, the confines of his body. Like he, he's just becoming a bigger person so much so that he's outgrowing the, just the space he's in. Because he's allowing himself to be happy and allowing himself to have joy. Do you? It's so. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. And I I've noticed that a lot of the set pieces are stage like, and it's probably no surprise that John Patrick Shanley he he's only directed two going on three movies and, and written. Uh, three or four screenplays, including, of course, Moonstruck, for which he won an Oscar. But then he's much more prolific as a theater writer and director. So it just seems to be like that is his kind of visual style and that that is his comfort zone. So I could kind of picture, I could just picture a cute little set where they've set up this little restaurant and and, and that's the way they went for it. But to your point about there are people that get paid a lot of money to do this in an expert fashion. That there was some Spielberg, Kathleen Kennedy uh, kind of cash behind this movie, so it is a possibility. Who knows? You know, it's because of the quirky position this movie occupies. I've never been able to find a making of Joe versus the volcano or uh, the art of Joe versus the volcano collection or 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 even technical type interviews if anyone of our listeners has something like that they want to share in our facebook group i would be greatly appreciative but no we're we're sort of we're sort of just left to look back and wonder yeah yeah we're making our best educated guess and yeah we're not that educated (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's totally true so what else do we have in this minute so he's realizing that he finally feels good. And and you mentioned him getting up 
and he's going to, he's heard this little bit of music. He's gotten this inspiration that he wants to uh, request a song from the mariachi band. Do you find it odd that the camera just stays on Dee Dee and he just walks out of frame and then walks back into frame? Yeah, it's, it's, I guess it's just trying to just focus the camera on Meg Ryan and the camera obviously loves Meg Ryan. It gave her a good chance to just really, uh, the way her eyes pop. And I guess trying to build the tension, although we, we, we got to know what's happening here. You, you hear the mariachi band and he gets up. It's like, okay, well, he's going to get, get the mariachi band. I've seen movies before. <laughs> right. <laughs> but just a chance for the camera to focus on her. And again, it's really impressive how just her innate charisma, likability, and um, just energy are able to sort of show show through uh, really how they're making her try to look dumpy. And it, it can't contain, it, no, matter, no, no amount of like mousy hair and, uh, you know, dark clothing seems to be able to overcome uh, Meg Ryan's eyes. No, they, they, her eyes cannot be snuffed out. They will shine brightly through any costume. And perhaps brighter due to the contrast. Yeah, it's also, yeah, you're right. Because it's because her eyes are not really the only thing shining in it. And also I think they lit, lit the scene well, where it's, it's almost like the light in the scene is really focused on her face. So um, it's, a, it's a great way to, to frame her and, and take advantage of her, her best features. And Meg Ryan's in a, 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 a a slim pixie-ish woman with really expressive eyes and a nice smile. So they've they've been able to sort of frame her perfect to, to make the best out of her uh, most fetching attribute. Do you think that Meg Ryan in this movie is a manic pixie dream girl, but separated out into three separate characters? So Dee Dee is manic and... No, Dee Dee is the pixie. Angelica is manic and Patricia is the dream girl. Yeah, although how see that feels like a real '90s to 2000s trope, the manic pixie dream girl. Mm-hmm. I'm sure if you go back, there have been examples of it. Um, and I even remember what was uh, hiding out the um, what's his name from Two and a Half Men, Ducky, John Cryer. John Cryer. I think he was in a movie that sort of had a manic pixie dream oh, girl. Oh, is when he goes undercover as a high school student. Yeah. Yes, he was Maxwell Hauser. I don't remember my kids' birthdays, but I remember Maxwell Hauser. <laughs> so useful. <laughs> yeah. Thank goodness for that. You know, there's been a handful of those. So uh, I remember the, the girl in that was, you know, really adorable and so and quirky and sort of aggressive with him. Like, she's the one chasing John Cryer. Like, the beautiful sort of fun girl is always the one chasing the, you know, the middle-of-the-road boy-next-door guy. And... So I, I'm sure that's always been there, but I feel like it didn't really crystallize until the night. Right. And it, it's it's a ridiculous 90s trope, which we probably shouldn't throw stones at because it's basically what happened in both of our lives. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, yes. <laughs> so shout out to our wives. <sighs> shout out to our wives. But uh, yeah, it's, uh, that'd be an interesting thing where if, there was already an awareness of that trope and then trying to break it up into three pieces. And I don't know if that'd be good or bad to do, but it's definitely an interesting idea. I would love to pick the brain of the director. Again, I'm just, I think it's real interesting just that they did this in the first place, uh, breaking it up into three. It is interesting. And then it, 
so he says, and I don't remember if it's this minute or next, the first time I met you, I, I, I thought that I had seen you before. So it, it, it sort of elevates her as this mysterious figure. But then when you meet Angelica and then Patricia, they say that they're half-sisters. So that, of course, is a joke because they're identical. So clearly they're not half-sisters. But but there's no suggestion that Dee Dee is also a sister. So the introducing them as being half-sisters, and we'll, we'll, we'll get to that when, when they're both together more in detail. But since you're kind of bringing up this idea, does that, does that break the the possibility that it is it's one person that we keep seeing different times with different looks or is it like a fight club scenario where if you really saw Angelica she was just talking to herself the whole time that's the sort of thing that we end up making putting way more uh, thought into than anyone involved with the movie did right I think they just wanted it they just wanted it to be kind of magical and I've always felt like this movie is just it's just Joe's perspective on what's happening and so it's a wizard of oz type of thing where you're sort of reinterpreting the events through the lens of your own experience and so he 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 has this dream girl in mind and everyone that he meets you know keeps looking like his dream girl so that that was my take on it more so than she's a master of disguise and she has has been stalking him since for all the years that he works at the advertising company and so she decides well it didn't work out on that date so I am going to recreate myself as a quirky depressive artist and, and give it a go that way they could have made us think that all it would have taken was Meg Ryan turning to the camera at the end of the movie and giving a wink to the camera mm, yeah but I don't think I I don't think I like that movie more for it i i like that i like that the movie just lets some things be magical i completely agree completely agree but you know they they, if that's what they were going to do they could have done it right um so which is what makes me believe is like nah they just i i really think it's a and i wonder could just be something contractual where it's like listen we want meg ryan to be in this movie but we don't have a real leading actress role in this movie we have three sort of lead actress roles we got to get our bang for our meg ryan buck and also we don't wanted to be a character dating three women or having an interest in three women. So if we can sort of split the difference and just have it be Meg Ryan the entire time, um, the, the the viewers will be invested in the relationship, even though it's actually three different relationships. Yeah, you know, that's... That's I never thought of it from that perspective because if it's if it's just three different actresses, then it's, it's a James Bond movie. Right. And I think that that would make you like joe a lot less so so uh, the moral of the story is it's uh, it's okay to um, date several women at once as long as they look exact as long as they're twins or triplets yeah yeah exactly i'm 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 pretty sure uh yeah (laughs) but it but it's a movie and it's it's a fanciful movie, so you get away with a lot more. It's like um, and they've done that in other movies. I'm thinking of Bicentennial Man, the Robin Williams movie, where he played advanced AI that eventually becomes practically human, and he was in love with uh, a young woman who eventually became a wife and then a mother and then a grandmother, and then she passed away, and her granddaughter was played by the same actress, and then he fell in love with her. Mm. Ooh, ouch! Yeah, it wasn't. 
an okay movie. It was one of those weird things, it, sort of similar to what we're talking about here. Uh, Bicentennial Man was Robin Williams and the ads sort of focused on the wackiness where at first he's a robot and the one little girl tells him to just jump out a window and he jumps out the rim- window and falls to the ground. And that's what the advertising focused in on. So it was basically like, it's more... But this time he's a robot. Whoa. Yeah. But then the actual movie itself was sort of sad um, and dramatic. And it gave, gave Robin Williams a chance to, as the movie went on and as he became more human, um, sort of gave him a chance to stretch his acting acting chops. So it ties back into Joe Bronson versus Volcano, which was a, another one where it was advertised sort of as a wacky comedy and there was a lot more going on guys i just showed up but i've been weirded out by peter pan falling in love with wendy's daughter or whatever nonsense that was since i was a child <laughs> it's not okay it's not how that's not how it works that's not that's not how it works and it, clearly that wasn't adequately addressed because didn't we then Go ahead and do the same darn thing with Captain America. He meets the perfect woman in World War II, gets frozen in ice, gets thawed out. What can you do but date her descendant? If there had been more time to develop that, that could have been fun, though. Because I liked the idea that it was weird for them that she was the descendant, but they were still well-matched and attracted to each other. I'm just going to turn this into an episode of Cosmic Geppetto. (laughs) (laughs) Well, what's funny, uh, even weirder, is Jarf and I have talked about the very, very bad 1990 uh, B-movie, Captain America. It was terrible. Starring Matt Salinger, J.D. Salinger's son, because the world's insane. And what was interesting about that is they had that same thing, the Peggy Carter and uh, Sharon Carter. Uh, But then it was mother-daughter because it took place in the 80s and you could sort of make that work. Uh, And they were played by the same actress. So at the beginning, he's dating uh, Peggy. And then he wakes up and just sees Peggy. She's old now. And there's there's her daughter played by the same actress. And they're going to get together. I was like, this this." Okay, we all realize this is terrible, right? <laughs> it was worse in that than it was in the Marvel movies. Because then it was, at least it was a great aunt, and they didn't get together, like, or they didn't kiss until they had known each other for a couple of movies, so you can make an argument that a couple of years had gone by. No, no, not this. Like, They're making out in front of Peggy, basically. Yeah, in front of her corpse, almost. Yeah, the, the, it would be like if in Back to the Future, he was like, I know you're my mom, but I'm back in 1955, and you're hot now, so I'm going to go for it. Yes, your slash fiction is terrifying, Joe. <laughs> Good luck getting to a outro naturally from that. <laughs> Aren't you so glad um, that you were able to, uh, to swoop in for these final minutes? I of... cannot wait to hear the rest of this episode because I came in with no context for this conversation. It wouldn't help. <laughs> well our listeners will only have to wait until friday for us to continue our conversation with brad brad i hope that you can join us again on friday don't leave jarf alone that would be really bad (laughs) (laughs) yes 
um, don't leave Jarf alone. So please come back on Friday. And if folks want to share some background that they've dug up about Joe versus the volcano or just interact with fellow listeners and fans, they can join us on Facebook in the Joe versus the volcano listeners luggage raft. And as always, you can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Joe versus a minute. And then until then, we are going to just climb onto that listeners luggage raft and push out onto the sea. So Tierney, my friend, since you've joined us for these last minutes, what shall our destination be? Never, never land? That's right. <laughs> Away from the things of man. That's what we do on Chovis is the volcano. Uh, what is it? First star to the right and straight, straight on, on till morning. morning. Second yes. star to the right. <laughs> Second star to the right. Although yes. now I want to know what first star to the right and straight on till morning takes you to. Jersey. <laughs> <laughs> That's a growler.